From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. How are you doing on this Monday morning? Good to be with you and uh, it's nice that it's nice and warm and not so rainy. It's like a good combination. We've had either one or the other the last week so uh, I'm happy <laughs> that it's there and I'm happy to be in studio uh, with you guys and I'm happy we're going to have a, a, a cracker show. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking about the Punch and Judy show that is uh, Congress, the U.S. Congress, uh, and seeing what's going on there and is there anything we can do to uh, stop it. And, and we're also going to be looking at a little bit of music as well, uh, some interesting stuff coming out of Stellenbosch University, which I thought was kind of unique, so we'll be talking about that. But to begin with on the show... Uh, I thought that we would carry on our conversation from last week. You know, I was so happy with uh, the engagement we had uh, last week around what is everyone watching on Netflix and what is everyone's favorite shows and, uh, you know, what is everyone doing uh, and enjoying out there. And I thought, you know, one of the aspects that we didn't have was, you know, what is going on on the local scene, in the South African scene, uh, and, and what is going on with our movies. So I thought definitely we have to bring in an expert and chat to someone who really knows their stuff on this area. Uh, and so we, we brought in a the whole director to the program. Uh, he is, uh, John. Short but whole. <laughs> Short but whole. Uh, someone who knows his stuff. He's been around the scene for a while. His name is John Barker. Uh, if you are a South African film aficionado, you will know uh, his work from stuff like Bunny Chow, uh, or Wonder Boy from President. Uh, and we thought we'd bring him to chat about, uh, what is the best in South African movies that you haven't been watching or have been watching uh, and what can we expect and uh, what even is a South African movie? It's an interesting question. John, thanks for coming into the show. Nice to have you with you on the new Blue Review. Cool, Benji. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, great to have you in the studio. Uh, t- tell me first, how did you get into um, – actually, no, wait. We're gonna, we have to go to the shops first. So when we come back, we're going to be yeah. talking about uh, how you got into film. I'm interested in that. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Indeed, it is 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Uh, and as I said before the break, we have John Parker. He is a local South African filmmaker in studio to talk about the industry. John, uh, thanks for coming in. And as I was about to say before the break, what, what got you into filmmaking, of all things? Um, I guess, uh, Benji, I'm so old that um, there wasn't even a film. Uh, there weren't film schools around when I was right. studying. I was doing tertiary education. So I chose graphic design because it was something that I did creatively. Um, couldn't do maths or science for, for any really doff. So I did something creative, and uh, graphic design seemed like a cool thing to do. And uh, when I started doing that, I started making films and, and did a something on uh, William Kentridge and realized there were many facets to, to making films. Like there's the go from the, the coming up with the idea, the concept to the writing, to the actual shooting, to the editing. So I love that idea of so many different talents working on one particular show or idea of the filmmakers. So, uh, and then kind of went to London, came back here, lied a lot about the jobs I had over there, bullshitted so much. And uh, just said I've been directing and writing, and I kind of got a couple of jobs. <laughs> it was uh, quite a way to to do it, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you come from a, a family of sports people. Uh, how, how did yeah. they feel about you going down a, a more creative route? It was like a tragedy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> my father was like, "You got to play soccer." No, he wasn't so bad. My, my dad is Clive Barker, a soccer coach, and he, um, uh, him, and my mom, and him, my mom's a ballet dancer, uh, and, and he's a soccer coach. 
And somehow they were just like, they were very cool with whatever we chose to do. My brother and I, they said, you know, follow your hearts and, you know, you'll be happy that way, I guess. Um, but I played soccer up until I was 22 or 23 and I loved playing, played for Juventus and Durban and football was, was absolutely amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my dad is incredible, like, uh, icon in South Africa and I would love to play football. Uh, I don't think it was good enough to play at the highest level, but I played semi-professional. Um, yeah. So h- how do you go about uh, choosing your topics? I mean, when you think of a film to make, uh, you know, wh- what what do you, what is what kind of stuff inspires you when you're thinking of of making a film? I mean, uh, there's a lot that, that goes into that. You've got to identify what that single idea is about that thing that that you want to make, mm-hmm. why you want to make it. Um, so it ranges from, you know, some people want to make films to be controversial, some want to do political satire to question. The political industry, like Kikisa and I did with Wonder Boy for President, Bunny Chow was kind of because I'd done Pure Minority and was working with all the comedians at the time, and we were, there were anecdotes and there were stories around them, and, and I thought it's going to be let's make something about the comedians on this crazy trip to Opikopi, these predominantly black group of comedians going to go and perform on the stages of Opikopi when it's supposed to be music, and this ten years ago was it was just music, yeah, and rock music, white rock music. So to have like black comedians doing stand up at three o'clock in the morning to very drunk people <laughs> was kind of a crazy idea. So that was that reason. But I guess um, it depends from different filmmakers. Some filmmakers want to do comedy, some do drama. Some well, the reason that I asked is because your films do stand out in the South African kind of context as being one of the few group of filmmakers outside of Leon Schuster that's prepared to do South African comedy. You know, when South Africans do film. In my, uh, unless it's like Afrikaans, you know, mm. you know, remakes of American Hollywood. Uh, when South Africans do film, we like to be like very drug and mm. very like sad and very it's, angry it's all angsty, at once. Yeah, yeah, angsty, we, yeah, we don't really do happy. And yet, uh, you know, you, you've always seemed to have taken the lighter side of South African life. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's how you get the message. I feel that you get the message across really is, is through comedy and through satire. Uh, like we did with Wonder Boy for President, um, talking about the ANC and corruption, but in a way that's not angsty and not heavy. And feel like, you know, our audience will, through through being engaging and being entertained by the comedy, that they'll get all the underlying messages that we're talking about, corruption and how messed up the ANC was, especially in Zuma's, uh, Zuma's era. Um, so, and look, yeah, and I think I think comedy is the, is... Is, is huge in South African context. I think our, our comedians are doing fantastically. And Kakis Ladika's film at the moment, Matwetwe, is cleaning up at the box office. Um, and um, I think that, the, yeah, I want to keep making comedies. And, and I love uh, satirists, uh, filmmakers like Stanley Kubrick, um, Dr. Strange Love. Those kind of films for me um, made such a statement about the Cold War. And so I've, I'm kind of inspired by that and Larry David and, you know, those, those characters. I mean, it, it does seem a bit odd. You know, South Africans, I think, are, are quite worn down by the daily reality that they live in. And yet when you're asking them as a South African filmmaker to go to the box office, you want to give, feed them more of that. Yeah, uh, you know, it's no, no wonder we don't like have a great no, no, you know, audience number. Yeah, no, no. And I think Schuster for his comedy and whatever it was, that proved that, that South Africans do want to go and laugh at themselves. And I think now with the new generation, 
uh, with people with people like Yechisa, I, I think that the the audience, South African audience, is going to respond to those to those films. So talk to us about Matuetu. I mean, I know it's not your your project, but I have been seeing it around. Yeah. Uh, and so, so what is it about? Like, what is the, the vibe behind it? It's about two young kids growing up in the township, and it's a coming of age film. Uh, it's got a lot of like Kehisa says, a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll all, all rolled into one. Which that, is that's his kind his of kegs, vibe, his yeah. vibe, yeah, his bag. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, it's just it's it speaks to to people. Uh, it speaks to a South African audience, and and they're loving it. You know, it's just nothing better than seeing yourself represented on on screen, uh, and I think that's why why people are loving it. Do you think people? I mean, you, I, I don't. I know that you are a South African, but you come with some some British uh, background. You Ooh, know? Be careful, there, <laughs> just, Benji. just just be say. careful with the colonialist vibes, <laughs> there, my friend. No, we like, I'm like seven, eight generations South African. I couldn't get an English visa if I had the money to get. Oh, uh, okay. The reason I asked was because you said you went to London for a bit. Was that all? Uh, that like was a work probably thing? the pro- proper work thing. Very very uh, construction sites and. and <laughs> so, uh, let me recast the question then. <laughs> when you go to other countries other than America, yeah. the Brits, the yeah. Indians, the, the Nigerians, right? They're kind of proud of the films that they make. Yeah. And yet somehow in South Africa, uh, there's still an element of like, oh, it's a South African film. Yeah. And yes, I'll go watch it if I'm like feeling patriotic that morning and, you know, I want yeah. to support the arts. And, and, and somehow nobody else suffers from this. Uh, and it's not like we make bad films. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely watched Ethiopian sci-fi's that were quite like horrific and really should never have been put on 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 film. But the yeah. Ethiopians in the room thought it was magic. Yeah. So, so where are we missing as a South African? The you know the idea that our films are worth watching without like putting a tag on. I, I don't know where that comes from. I, I mean, um, I think that local films are being supported now. Um, I think that there are some box office successes, uh, and I think it's changing. You could look back to apartheid and, and apartheid, the, the government, uh, you know, what they like, they did an amazing job of, of, um, of not allowing people to go to, to cinemas where, where a black person was seen as a hero. Um, so in some way that propaganda machine worked against us, uh, the present the filmmakers making films now in South Africa because, uh, I think black communities to a degree didn't, were not, it wasn't sexy to go and watch films. They weren't allowed to watch films. They always watched white people in, in, in cinema, never saw their own black heroes. And I think that that's hurt our industry for a while. And because the cultures are so different that we had apartheid and now it's, it's just a way of, it's just time basically. And I think Matuete is, is, is leading the way for, for, for that's what the future is. And people will definitely go and watch our films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a legacy of apartheid in, in a way. And we just don't, it's because it's, there's so many different languages and so many different cultures, it's a clash of cultures that, that is, is hard to promote one single film. No, I mean, well, I'll, I'll come back to it. Uh, we're going to take a, a short break. Um, but, but after this, I really want to ask you, is there such a thing as a South African audience that, that we can be pitching a uh, film mm. to? We're in studio with John Barker talking about local South African films. We'll be back just after the break. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Back with 101.9 High FM New Blue Review. We're talking film today with uh, John Parker, and just before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, the issue of uh, films and audiences for films. I mean, we were talking about Matuetwe, uh, and and I've seen even in some of like the uh, the promotions, you know, saying guys get out there. You know, the, the film distributors are, are are sort of not, you know, really sure even yeah. like how to how to uh, distribute the films in a way that's 
yeah. effective. I mean, uh, Ronnie Apteka, uh, who's a film producer, is he is very clever at marketing films, and he's actually out there, you know, I think doing more than than, than the distributors are because, um, you know, they they've uh, Kags has even said that. People are very wary. The people that own cinemas are like, well, we're not sure if this is going to work, you know, set in Pretoria. Like, you know, who's, who are these guys? There's no superstars in the film. How are we going to market it? It's not going to do well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a level of that too that, that people are um, afraid to promote South African films. Um, what, what about this, like, change that we're starting to see with the Netflixes of the world and the Showmaxes of the world? I mean, for me it was very interesting there was uh, – uh, certainly for for listeners to the station, something like Tully's Wedding Diaries, mm. which was like quite over the top, but quite well received nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, and and it never went onto a film circuit. Mm. Uh, and it, you know it was extraordinarily popular for yeah. what it was. I mean, do you think that that alternative distribution mechanisms are starting to change the game on that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think they are quite aggressive at the moment, Netflix. Uh, and I think also what it does is it's also a competition for Showmax. Uh, because they know that Netflix are, are quite aggressive and are looking for local content, and they have to increase their uh, their bouquet of, of of local films. So I think for filmmakers at the moment, um, that uh, coupled with the, the rebate, the DTR rebate, um, which is almost up to forty percent, which is really a fantastic incentive for filmmakers. I mean, we you don't have any excuse anymore. I, mean, I believe there's an audience out there, uh, and I believe that there are institutions that are helping South African filmmakers to make films. There's no excuse anymore. There really are things in place for you to get out there and make films. Well, for me, it was it's quite interesting. I'm, I'm not sure if it was my Twitter or, or something else, uh, but Black Coffee got involved in, in yes, the production. I mean, an executive producer, yeah. Right. So, I mean, that that's kind of interesting. You know, Black Coffee's a, a house DJ. Okay, yeah. he's probably... He's probably our most famous export after Charlize Theron and Trevor Noah. But yeah. uh, it's interesting that a guy like that could come from another other part of the industry yeah. and then say, okay, well, we're going to be making a film and lend my name to, to getting it out there. So it, other players are starting to come into the market. Yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's now becoming an industry that's, that's quite sexy, that's making money, um, and, and it's turned, turned the corner, I believe. So uh, hence why Black Coffee kind of said, let me get involved with this, let me put my name to it. Mm. Um, it's also promoting local culture too, which is never seen on our on our screens. So let's move away from like the industry itself. I think a lot of people, you know, they go to the movie, they watch it, they enjoy it, they don't enjoy it, but they don't really think about the process. Mm. You know, and I, I sometimes get the feeling that movies are like sausages. The end product is great, but you don't really want to watch how they're made. <laughs> um, True, it's not, not very cool. It's hard work. But, but maybe you can give us a sense uh, of of what that looks like. I mean, you have an idea. You want to put a film together. You know, what does it even look like from uh, from? Oh wow, this seems like a, a crazy idea with comedians to, to putting it on film. Well, the one thing you have to realize is that it is a very long process, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people make that mistake. They have a cool idea and they say, well. This worked in America, this kind of idea, this surely will work here. You know, let's, let's do this, let's get together and we'll make it happen. And it's actually, that's, you know, it doesn't happen that quickly. It, it honestly is a five year process on any film. I've been writing a film called The Umbrella Man for over 10 years now. Uh, and another, The Lolly Jackson thing is also in almost now six or seven years. So you have to understand that you're in it for the long haul. It really is that long. And I guess for young people out there that are trying to make it, Absolutely, the enthusiasm has got to be that you've got to love the idea. You've got to have one single idea, the reason why you want to make that film. 
because it, it really is a long process and you've got to go with it with all your love and passion and drive it. You have to produce it. You have to write it. You have to direct it. You have to get people around. You get people excited. And if you can get, if you're not a great writer yourself, you have to partner with a great writer. Find somebody who's inspired by the story. Find some young cinematographers, some camera people who are inspired to buy the story. Get this team together and go out and, and shoot this film. That, that you can do in your first film, and then the rest you will suffer for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking to John Barker on the show today. If you have any questions about film, about the film industry, let us know. You can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019, SMS us on 34519. You can tweet us at ChaiFM or email us on info at ChaiFM.com. What about the monetary side of it? Uh, you know, you, you, fine, you can, you Just know. run. Just run. <laughs> Just run away. I mean, it, it, six, six years seems like a long time, uh, to not eat while you're, while you're making a film. Uh, and, and what about actually getting the money to make it? I mean, is it, are, are, are who, who puts money besides the DTI into, into filmmaking? Uh, the, uh, the National Film and Video Foundation are also, um, doing, making great strides in that department. Um, you can go to them and uh, you write a synopsis of, a, of a, a, a film or a drama series. You can pitch it to them. Uh, the IDC is also a big player. Uh, the DTR, obviously you're coupled with uh, the DTR. And, and hopefully you can also get some uh, investors involved that will help you to, to get to raise the entire budget. Well, I mean, that's what Ronnie Apterka is, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Ronnie will, will go out and help you, uh, assist you in a way to, to make a film. If, obviously, if he loves it, you've got to get people like Ronnie excited because if you do, you've got a great chance of, of making a successful film. So it's putting a whole lot of partners together, mm-hmm. um, which is also quite a process. You need a very strong producer. Uh, who's also who can manage other jobs and, and do other things in the industry um, whilst trying to make these feature films. Uh, it, it is not like America, unfortunately, um, where you can just live off, off feature films. And I think there's very few people actually in America who can do the same. Right. So everyone's got to get kind of used to it. If you want to make features, you're going to have to do other t- other work in, in corporate between. filmmaking, whether it's or corporates or commercials or, or TV drama. But at least the whole time you're working your craft. Right. And I think that's important because – that plays into you then going on to make uh, a feature. It's all just pr- it's practice as much as you can. You know? So let's talk about uh, Bunny Chow uh, and Wonder Boy for President because those were like your two big ones that yeah. really kind of blew up. But they were also quite different. I mean, Wonder Boy was a polished film. Uh, it you know it, it has Benji. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bunny Chow uh, and and even Blue Cheese. It had a, a bit of a rough edge about it, right? Mm. It was. You know, you kind of thought that maybe the cameraman was part of the drunken escapade. Uh, <laughs> he was. You know, Peterson was always drunk. No, uh, wasn't. But I mean, Wonder Boy, you, you, you sort of, you managed to take the, the cream of, of South African comic talent and all stuff it into one film. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the purposes of, of making it. Does that change the vibe, uh, when you, when you, like, when you're doing a film like that? Do, do people have to get a bit more serious, uh, about, alright guys. Now we're going to do this one properly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not really sure. I mean, I mean, it, it depends on. I mean, you can have people that are very passionate and very skilled, mm-hmm. um, working for nothing in the film. It does. It's not really about the budget that, that gets people excited and, and will bring their skills to the table. Um, but it's interesting things that you say that about Wonder Boy because Wonder Boy we couldn't raise any money for. We we had a, like a few financiers came in, but very little money. And we did it on, on absolutely nothing and did it over a long period of time. It was, mm-hmm. it was very painful because it was about the ANC. So 
we couldn't go to the all government. the places, I've just, all the things <laughs> I just mentioned, all the institutions, because they were just like, ah, we can't, you know, we don't do this. We're funded by the ANC. How are we going to give you money to, to, to diss them, you know? So we had to go to friends, and it was a five-year process. We stopped, we shot it over five years, not even, not the concept, but shot it five years, and then put it together, and, and everyone was, was incredibly passionate about it and worked very hard on that, even though it was on weekends. Um, and... Uh, and and the reception to the film, I mean, you part of it was the timing because you you released it before an election to you know I think ride the wave of interest in politics. Uh, you know, did it did that sort of help do the marketing for the film? I mean, the marketing was fantastic on Wonder Boy. Um, mm. We had some some great partners with us. Social media was was fantastic. Um, the film was quite controversial in Durban. Uh, we had a lot of people walked out. Um, <laughs> we had a whole lot of people in the Q and A say. Um, you know, to the comedians, because all the comedians, as with Luis Segola and John Flismus and Kahisa and all the guys, and then the people at Q&A said, why do these black comedians allow this white director to be their, their puppeteer, you know? And then the response was just like the comedians just took off. They said, we don't babysit black audiences. Tell us what to do or what we can do. You know, because my thing is it's a very collaborative art. So I would yeah. never go and make a film with the, with those kind of comedians and do something that they would be embarrassed of. So the audience was it's kind of a weird question. Well, we can't, it'd be kind of hard to do. I mean, unless you're going to pay yeah, exactly. someone a lot of money. They, they never see the, the cut. I mean, <laughs> like, you know. So it's kind of strange questions. Um, but again, it's a mockumentary. So it's not an easy format to receive an, in cinema. It's not something that people are going to flock to, but that wasn't the point. The point was we felt that um, as artists, we needed to say something about uh, Zuma and the ANC at the time, and Wonder Boy was the vehicle for us just to have a bit of fun. I mean, to be fair, you, you did kind of rip off everyone. Uh, oh, we did, even the, yeah, the DA, uh, the everybody. EFF. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, I no, don't think no, you'd no. need to be like unfair in the ANC no, and we say like, that's we, what you were going after. Absolutely. We had a go at everybody. Yeah, even Musa Maimani, you know, Talking about the love affair that his party is going to get into trouble, getting him into trouble. So now everyone was pretty cool, you know. And, and what about like overseas, uh, South African films? Uh, you know, we 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 have had you know some successes, but South African culture is picked up weirdly. I, I sometimes feel overseas. You know, you have the Germans who are suddenly into the Antwerp, or yeah, you, it's you, crazy, yeah. or you you have. Uh, I'm just trying to think what was that that like. It was kind of iconic for its time, but a bit embarrassing now with the, the Coke bottle and the... Uh, gods must be crazy. Gods must be crazy. Ace, yeah. yeah, you know, like that, yeah. that was something that got picked yeah. up overseas. And you, you kind of, you kind of, it's sometimes South African culture translates strangely overseas. And I'm just interested if you ever had that experience with your films or with expat communities. Yeah, absolutely. Bunny Chow was, you know, people couldn't believe that they were like, oh, you have, you have music festivals? <laughs> like, yes, we have music festivals in South Africa. Um, so we, we, you get all those kind of responses at film festivals. I'm just hoping that with the amount of films that we're making that we will be able to export our culture, um, you know, easier. And I think Amazon, Netflix, all these platforms are very keen for African content. So I think you'll see a lot more of it and being a lot more accessible. Well, do you know what, what kind do you, I don't know, I guess you're in the, in the industry. I mean, are we going to be seeing in the near future a lot of other films coming out? Uh, that, that, that are South African that people can look forward to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I mean, my, I mean, I have two or three uh, feature films that are working on documentaries. I know that uh, a lot of the my fellow filmmakers, um, uh, both male and female, are working on a number of uh, projects that I hope will be seen in the next few years, yeah. 
So, so that is on the horizon. There's loads on the horizon, yeah. So let's actually talk about that side because actually, mm. you know, South Africans are pretty good at documentaries because we've got lots of uh, angst to get through and dockies <laughs> are, are good for that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so you've done some documentaries. Talk to us about the, that, that process and, 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 you know, the kind of stuff that you've, you've worked on. I guess, well, the, the first time I took a stab at, at a narrative was uh, a play on, on the rock industry, South African rock industry, which was Blue Cheese. Um, and that was kind of like a documentary, quasi-mockumentary type thing. And then I later went on to do a documentary on the neighborhood that I grew up in called Soccer South of Nambilo, um, which is the southern suburbs in, in Durban and all the footballers that came out of this hotbed of, of talent, including the, the two coaches, us most successful coaches, arguably my dad, Clive Walker and Gordon Iggerson. They lived across the road from each other. So that with a whole lot of other players that came through there was, was really crazy talent. And so that was cool for me because I could go back home and, um, just, just, just spend time with my dad, which is pretty cool because everyone's so busy that it was so nice to be forced together for, <laughs> for two or three weeks just to hang out and, and talk to each other. Uh, and I did a documentary on cassette, on the band cassette and John Savage, uh, and his band. Um, so yeah, documentaries are, uh, cool because they, First of all, they don't, you don't need a huge budget for them. Right. And you can do them over a long period. It's not a set where you have to s- give everyone salary over a three-week period. You have to raise a lot of money for that. Whereas a documentary can be stretched over quite a while, and you can nurture it and spend a lot of time with it. So I have a plan for a couple more uh, dockies and, uh, and features, yeah, and amongst them. So if, if I gave you as much money as you wanted – Yes. As much. To make the film. Just clarify here. What is the money giving you, Benji? Uh, what, what, Give me money not to make films. <laughs> you, take, you're quite I'll, happy with that I'll as well. I'm going to take at this stage, yeah. Uh, if I gave you as much money as you wanted to make a film, what, 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 what do you think you would do? Uh a good question. Of the films that I'm making, I guess Lolly Jackson would be um, the biggest film because it is a is a period piece. Uh, there's also big South African actors and international actors that I'm talking to at the moment, and um, they don't come easy. I can't just say let's go and shoot you on the weekend. They don't, <laughs> they're not up for that kind of art. Um So I think the production design uh, and the time spent researching Lolly Radovan. And that whole crew is is quite an expensive process. So if anyone was going to give me a large amount of cash, it would probably uh, that film. How important are international actors for for local films? Well, locally you can't really raise you, you can't go to the DTI and RDC, the RDC particularly, and, and ask for large amounts of money if you don't have people who are going to put bums on seats. Right. So that means you need a kind of you need stars, a John stars, Keys or you a, need those kind of stars you know. on the poster. You know, you go, if you've got Brad Pitt, RDC will throw you all large, large amounts of money. You know, so will you, Benji. <laughs> um, but yeah, you need you need stars. You you really do um, stars in order to to back up the fact that. You ask you for this amount of money, and people want their money back, rightly so. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, "Well, if I have uh, Charlize Theron, um, you know, I can guarantee there's a good chance we'll get get your money back." Arnold so. Fossler. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Pitt and Charlie's, yes, I, I, I promise you. I, everyone will say yes. You'll get our money back. <laughs> I don't think we should be dissing Arnold. No, Arnold's you know. a cool guy. No, he's a very sweet guy. <laughs> <laughs> Hope he's not listening. <laughs> I'm sure not. Uh, <laughs> 
So okay, so so that's uh, so that's what you need: lots of money uh, and lots of time and an international uh, star, and you'll be fine. And you'll be that's fine. That's basically so easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, that's uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's what we're going to do. We can take a short break now, and we'll come back. We'll be uh, just uh, having a, a, another chat, more chat rather, about uh, movie making. The best part of your day at the heart of your community. All the talk, all the music, all the news. Hi FM. You're back with 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review, talking film today on uh, the program with director John Barker. Uh, John, uh, so you, you're working on Lonnie, um, and um, what other kind of projects are you on at the moment? What and, um, and where also can people see you, the work? You know, one of the things that kills me at the moment is that you miss a film on circuit. No one makes it into a DVD anymore. Yeah, that's Be- true. The DVDs uh, are gone. Yeah. DVDs are gone, and then you're like, well, when is it coming out on Netflix? Is it coming out on Netflix? It's a bit like disconcerting. So, for example, Wonder Boy. I mean, if people wanted to go watch that, you know, how do you do that? Well, our local uh, Showmax has picked up Wonder Boy, which is very good. They're, they're okay. picking up a, a lot of South African titles. In fact, all the South African titles that, are, that come out go on to Showmax, so go and check it out there. Um, and Netflix are also obviously buying stuff and, and all the films, and they're interested in some older stuff that we've done. So uh, those platforms you can definitely see it on. Um, I, I guess some of the projects I'm working on is there's a need for um, I think, you know, we do a table read when you, when you do a feature film where you sit around and doing a drama series, you get together with the director and the producers and all the actors and they sit around a table and they go through the script. And we don't have anything like that here in South Africa or particularly in Johannesburg. So I'm starting a, it's possibly called, it's a work in progress, the title. It's probably uh, table work, uh, which is a table read with, um, up and coming filmmakers, predominantly female, uh, uh, filmmakers. We're going to do it once a month in Melville, uh, uh, with the Goliath brothers. They have a club, new club in Melville and, um, working closely with Kate Goliath. So we're going to once a month have a table read and feature, um, 10, 10 strong South African filmmakers. And what that, that'll do is that, um, it's, it's, it's quite, um, it's quite stressful to do a table read because for the first time you realize you're sitting around with a whole lot of people going through your script that you thought is so wonderful and it's like, and the reading and the timing and the rhythm, you suddenly realize that th- that's not working or that's fantastic or that's terrible. So I think this in some way will help filmmakers to sit around a table with an audience of uh, industry people, um, say, say 20 to 30 and you read the script and give feedback. So, that's happening. We're looking for scripts. I'm looking for filmmakers to, to, who want to read their, read out their films just before they shoot. And we think it'll be a huge, uh, will help them a hell of a lot before they make their film. Um, is there something about the group environment which, which helps that? Cause I mean, I'm assuming mm-hmm. when you're making a film, you send it to scripts to people and they say, well, this, is cool. This sucks. Yes. Uh, so, so something about the group dynamic helps out the process. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, I think you also fill out a questionnaire. So some people might be reluctant to go. Well, there's a problem with that. There, there. So they can also fill out that form, and you can learn from that. Because what often happens is you make your film, and then the distributors show it to a group of people, and then they say what works and doesn't work. And I, I think it's um, really important for, for uh, writers. And directors to do that before they actually even before they make the film. Kind of a pre-process. Uh, pre-process, and also what we're going to try and do is invite. So we'll make it a, it's an evening for that film director. Um, they can read through their script that they're about to shoot, 
and they can also show a film that they've previously made. So they can invite industry people. We can they can invite Comedy Central if it's comedy. They can invite Showmax, Mnet, the, all the TV channels, and then you can start getting somebody interested. Someone might see that Comedy Central and might say, "Hey, that's kind of working for me. I like what Karabul Adich is doing." Um, or Gilly Apter, or let's let's go with them. You know, mm, so it starts mm. a relationship to two with people. So you don't have to think, okay, I'm going to make this pilot, and then who do I send it to? Rather, create relationships early on. Yes. Um, so we hope that that does something for the industry. I'm also involved with the First Wednesday Film Club, which is run by Ken Amatoso and Katerina, uh, where we show a film once a month, the first Wednesday of, of every month. And, and is that open to the public? It's open to the public. And it's a platform for South Africa. It's been, they've been running it for 10 years now. It's fantastic. And it gives a chance to any young filmmakers who are struggling to get to cinema. They can go and show their film there. Um, and, uh, this coming Wednesday, we're showing High Fantasy, which is Jenna Bass's film. Okay. Very yeah. interesting. So if people want to check that out and uh, get really on the cutting edge of that sort of thing, how do they, how do they see that? Uh, that is, uh, it's the first Wednesday, uh, film club and then, the, the the other project, the table read is still so early. We don't have any information on it. It's like this this end of this month is going to be our first first time, and that's going to be Karabo Ladika and Loy Madinga's uh, drama series that they or comedy series they're writing. Um, I guess people can just go and look at the uh, Goliath website for that novel um, comedy club and see what's happening and when it's happening. Great, great. John, thank you so much for coming cool, into the studio. I really appreciate your yeah. time coming, chatting to us. Go out there. Uh, it's on Showmax. Go see Wonder Boy for President. We have an election coming up, so maybe you need to do a bit of a relaunch, John. Um, Absolutely. Wonder Boy 2. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and uh, Bunny Chow and uh, all of these sorts of films. And, and support South African film. I mean, there's actually some great stuff. I went to see a Sutu-based Western the other day. Five um, Fingers. Yeah, Five Fingers. That's, that's amazing. That yeah. was like a – and, and, cool. and beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. Uh, sure. Just for, at a visual level, you'll, you'll enjoy Five Fingers. Uh, Matuetue is coming out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do do your bit to support the local arts because it's actually that good. Actually. Yeah, yeah nice. Vi- I mean, recently Via did fantastic. Via, well. yeah. All of those filmmakers are going to be involved with this this table read. So uh, we're very excited to have Sean Drummond from Five Fingers. Yeah, the South African films are amazing, guys. You've got to got to get out there and watch and support. Absolutely. Well, there we go, John Barker. Thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll chat to you again soon. Uh, we can do a live table read on air. <laughs> that'll, be, hey, that'll be cool. Thank you, Benji. <laughs> we'd, we'd be very happy to See do you, that. John you, Barker, the South African director. Stay relevant and up to date. This is one hundred one point nine High FM. One hundred one point nine High FM. I am Benji Shulman, and this is the new. Blue Review, and I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about what is going on in the U.S. Congress at the moment, because I kind of feel that uh, as South Africans, we might actually have something to contribute, uh, believe it or not. Um, you know, American politics is American, and we truly have enough politics of our own, but there is some stuff that is worrying me at the moment, and uh, you know, we, we definitely need to be having a bit of a discussion about about it uh, and and how perhaps we can reach out to our American co- uh, cousins uh, and and help them out a bit and I tell you what's bothering me in particular and I'd also love your views. So recently you have uh, the new elections and uh, a whole bunch of new Congress people and senators have come into uh, the American system and in particular on the left of the spectrum and the progressive side of the spectrum in particular. 
we've had three young women, um, young women of color, as they like to be called, uh, who, who've come onto the market and who are very, very uh, progressive in the economic sense of the word. They want higher taxes and, uh, you know, redistributive policies and uh, free education and, and all this kind of thing. And and the three of them that uh, have been particularly famous uh, is is a woman called uh, Alexandra Cortez, um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Ilhan Omar uh, and Rashida Taleb. Uh, and and they have been sort of the superstars of the upcoming uh you know democratic party in in uh in the congress and they've been shown off as the new uh young faces of the democratic party uh which you know so far so good if you're into that kind of politics and you like progressive politics well there you go uh you've got some people who you can root for if you're a republican you're not going to be too happy about that but I'm not that worried about their domestic policies because obviously those are Americans. The the bigger problem for me has been uh, their foreign policies and uh, in particular their um, their Israel policy because uh, they have ranged between being highly critical of Israel uh, in the um, in the example of Alexandra uh, to being downright uh, anti-Israel, one-state solutionists. Uh, calling for all BDS supporters or some of them BDS supporters. And, and I think that that is a really, really worrying situation. So, for example, uh, Ilhan Omar uh, said that she backed the two-state solution but also says she backs BDS. Uh, and, uh, and Rashida didn't take too long uh, before she basically out and out lied about supporting a two-state solution before turning around uh, right after the elections. Uh, and then supporting a one-state solution. So, you know, there really has to be uh, a discussion around what do you do uh, with these guys. And and what I'm really concerned about is how also the Americans are, are taking to this issue. Because I think that, you know, these sorts of views are not that uncommon in South Africa. Uh, we we have not only people who believe this kind of nonsense uh, in South Africa, but in, in, in South Africa they're often in charge uh, at the SACP level. Uh, in in various parts of government, uh, etc., and I think that that's really worrying. But but what's concerning me the most is how people are reacting to it. So, uh, for for example, the Democrats uh, decided to put Ilhan Omar actually on the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, and and that is like a group of twenty six people who are in charge of making sure that foreign affairs uh, is run and uh, properly in America. And so you're putting an anti-Israel boycottist. Uh, on that committee, and then they have the gall to tell people that it's fine because you know she'll be controlled by the other twenty-five. And I think that that's a really dangerous way uh, of of going about and and doing things. Uh, that's on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, I don't necessarily think it's been all that much better because what's happening is you get Republican senators who are getting super excited about this idea that they can now brandish the Democratic Party as being anti-Israel, which, I mean, objectively is nonsense if you look at the way that they vote, uh, even if they have sometimes different views. Uh, and so they've been getting into tweet fests uh, with these uh, uh, women uh, and, and, and calling them anti-Semitic and having huge arguments. And, and what's concerning me is that it's just raising the profile of people who are very, very, very junior Congress people uh, in, in Congress who are only two or, or in some case three out of the whole list. Uh, and they what they call partisanizing the issue, partisanizing the issue, I guess. 
And, and I think it's really, really dangerous because what happens when people like Marco Rubio, um, start, uh, tweeting, uh, at these different people and calling them to see my says that suddenly people start to take notice of something which actually they didn't notice before. You know, the truth is, is that on stations like this and uh, in the Jewish world, we pay attention to what happens in Israel politics, but most people don't care and don't know. Uh, and by highlighting it with continuous tweeting, now suddenly places like CNN are seriously starting to write about BDS as a real thing in America, uh, which of course it's not. So I think that uh, Americans, they need to take a step back. Uh, and they need to really figure out and re-identify, uh, you know, what is it that they want to do. So for, for me, if I was an American, I would be saying the following uh, approach uh, to this thing, which I think we need to, we need to take into account. The first thing is yes, we need to take these two, ser- three seriously. Um, they are a potential risk, uh, but they're not uh, a risk completely right now. We don't have to go uh, overboard in order to make sure that, uh, you know, that it is pro- uh, appropriately dealt with. So, so that would be the, the, the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that you need to get rid of their oxygen, right? You don't give them a platform, uh, that, uh, that they don't have, uh, by, by tweeting them continuously and just, you know, generally, you know, saying, uh, you know, un- unnecessarily engaging with people who represent districts that, you know, it was like Detroit and Minnesota, which are known as being rust belts and cold places. So, so that would be the second thing. And then when they do mess up, as they have, like one of the, one of them, uh, Ilhan, uh, ended up tweeting, uh, something ridiculous the other day, which was basically downright anti-Semitic. Then you go after them and, and then you start, uh, the argument. So that would be the third. And then also I would say that a, a series of engagements, um, and, and treating them as individuals actually would be very effective. So, for example, uh, Ilhan Omar has been open to engagement. She's a Somali uh, sort of of Somali heritage um, and is quite different, actually, in her approach to all sorts of things uh, compared to Rashida Taleb, who's actually a Palestinian and has much more skin in the game, compared to Alexandra Cortez, who is just kind of on the left. And so there does also need to be a program of outreach to these people so that they can also... Uh, be educated as to what is going on. But uh, I am a bit concerned uh, that, that the Americans are making a mountain out of a molehill uh, and you don't want to uh, kind of get there, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in, in the future uh, where we start to lose large chunks of the democratic base because, uh, you know, we were screaming at people on Twitter. So that is uh, my view of this particular thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the Americans who are listening, I hope that you uh, like that and enjoy it. Uh, we take a short break now. We'll be back just after this. If you haven't entered one of the many competitions or giveaways on High FM, you definitely should. Why? Because of our 90-day prize policy, it means that more people get to win more often. According to Applied Logic, the more winners we have, the greater your chances of winning. 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 So listen up for the next prize. It could be yours. 101.9 IFL. 101.9 megahertz of prizes. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Uh, I, I just wanted to end off the show today with uh, a song uh, and something which I thought was just kind of beautiful and I've been getting into the whole week. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just thought it was worth, uh, worth playing. 
uh, I don't know if any of you had to go to school uh, at a government school, but I did go to a government school. And uh, in in this government school, I, I used to have to do the Lord's Prayer every day. Now, I had no problem doing the Lord's Prayer. It's pretty non-denominational. But, you know, the way that we used to do it was basically downright boring. Um and and basically, you know, you would you'd have to go, our Father who shan't in heaven, blah blah blah. Uh, it was like we used to troll it off every single day. And I discovered the other day that someone had taken that song uh, for a, a music for a game of all things, and he had transposed it uh, into uh, into into Swahili, and 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 he had transposed it into Swahili, and then had decided to put it uh, into a uh, into the game as like game music and actually ended up winning a Grammy. And funny enough, he himself is uh, a, a guy of Hong Kong extraction living in America. And the way he decided to do it was to use a South African choir. And I recently saw the Stellenbosch University rendition of the song. Uh, and the choir is completely multiracial. Uh, and there's, you know, all sorts of people. It's male, it's female, black, white, Indian, colored, you name it. Uh, and I just thought, you know, I know nothing about Stellenbosch University, but what I can tell from this choir is is that, uh, you know, there, there's still a bit of the rainbow nation that seems to live there. Uh, and I just thought it's so beautiful that you can take a song uh, and, uh, and, and it really goes all around the world uh, and, and, and just was really, really beautiful. So I thought to end off the show for today, um, I would play Baba Yetu uh, by Christ- Christopher Tin. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone uh, who was pushing all the big red buttons and helping to produce the show? Uh, and thank you for listening. So, uh, to end off today, Baba Yetu.